Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. The midterm elections, it's a real problem right now for the Democrats. One week left to save our state. We are going to win this election. What happened to Paul Pelosi in San Francisco? Crime has soared and we're seeing individuals assaulted and attacked every single day. Just look at the facts. He is totally wrong. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views, new week. Welcome to Monday. Lots to talk about today. We'll get to the politics uh, side of things, new polling out. Uh, Off the top of uh, the show, though, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments today in the University of North Carolina's race-based admission policy, along with Harvard. Uh, Racial classifications are wrong, said attorney Patrick Strawbridge in his opening statement. Strawbridge represents students for fair admission, the group challenging admission policies at UNC Chapel Hill and Harvard. That principle was enshrined in our law at a great cost following the Civil War, Strawbridge said. Uh, It was uh, an interesting give and take, as you can imagine, the more liberal side of the Supreme Court disagreed with Strawbridge. In fact, uh, Contingy um, Brown-Jackson questioned Strawbridge's assertion that UNC Chapel Hill used race to admit some students while keeping others out. You keep saying we object to the use of race standing alone, Jackson said, but as I read the record and understand the process, it's never standing alone. It's in the context of the other factors. There are 40 factors about all sorts of things that our admission office is looking at, and you haven't demonstrated or shown one situation in which they look at race. You know, this is how oftentimes these things happen is they put up these a certain amount of uh, things that they say they look at. But when push – and this is the same way when the FCC used to award licenses. The Federal Communications Commission used to uh, award licenses. And they'd have a number of different things that they said were important when they handed out the license. But ultimately, the one thing you couldn't overcome would be either gender or race. Well, that this is happening again. You know, the interesting thing about contingent uh, Jackson Brown – um, or, or Brown Jackson, uh, not to get confused with the uh, singer, is uh, you know, uh, a few decades ago, she would be arguing against UNC Chapel Hill as it would have been uh, anti-African-Americans being admitted to the university. Well, now that it's, uh, it's, a, it's a stand against um, Asian-Americans getting into the university, she seems to be taking the side of the university. It's rather curious. Donna Jackson is uh, with the Project 21 Black Leadership Project. Uh, Project 21 is a leading voice of black conservatives for over 25 years, sponsored by the National Center for uh, Public Policy Research. She's on the phone with us right now. Donna, welcome into News and Views. Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Your uh, Project 21 uh, was a part of this. I, I, was, I was reading some of the information that uh, your your firm sent out, and I knew you were at least a part of uh, some amicus briefs that were sent in on behalf of the Harvard case and the UNC case, which uh, it was rather interesting to note that just uh, according to what I read today, just the UNC 
oral arguments lasted two and a half hours, which means there was a lot of give and take, a lot of questions from the justices. Did, did you have a chance to eavesdrop in on the uh, audio of the uh, arguments? I, I, I didn't get a chance to hear all of it because I had a, another meeting, but I can tell you that Project 21 has always stood against uh, racial preferences. Um, it, it assumes the worst stereotypes that, in fact, uh, students or individuals can't compete unless there's a carve-out made for them. Right. So, you know, the, 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 here's, the, here's the reality. If you create a racial quota, that means if there's more students that qualify in a specific race, though that, once that quota is met, those uh, applicants won't even be considered. And that's wrong. We're long past the days where there has to be some kind of special carve-out for minority students to be competitive. There is no impediment today. There's nothing holding anyone back from being able to compete based upon their merit, except those individuals that don't want to compete. And we should not um, create a situation where people think that they don't have to earn their right and that they have no responsibility in their success and that they should be given something no one will respect you. No business, no corporation, no industry will respect you if you got something based solely on your race and not in your on your own merits and your ability. I've hired many people, and I can tell you right now, if someone had come up to me and said, I want you to hire me because I'm a certain color, I would not give that person a job. Well, it was interesting that the North Carolina Solicitor General, Ryan Park, his argument was we need diversity amongst the UNC student body. I would say, hey, well, you've got diversity. I mean, I've been to Chapel Hill numerous times. I'm there all the time. And you just look around the campus, there's a lot of diversity. In fact, some of the diversity is so diverse, it's out in left field. But um, Clarence Thomas challenged him saying i have heard the word diversity quite a few times and i don't have a clue what it means it seems to me everything for everyone later in the hearing thomas asked whether diversity provides any tangible academic benefits you've got studies that show people feel better and they don't feel isolated but i'm focusing on why did you go to college i mean and that's that's a great question are we sending students to college for diversity or to get an education well, you know, the worst part of that is that he assumes that black people can't be competitive. He assumes minorities can't compete, and that's any, that's far from the truth. So he's actually given into the bigotry that somehow, because of the solely because of the color of someone's skin, they're not capable of being able to compete on the same level as everyone else. So that's the that's the worst uh, of it. And the second thing is this: all of the diversity studies. Have all of the diversity studies have shown that African Americans, minorities don't benefit from diversity. So if you're not uh, admitted for your acad- your ability to succeed academically on your own merits, then what, it's like having a, a zoo, putting a, a petting zoo in a college. This it serves no purpose other than the fact that faculty can pat themselves on the back. But again, I say this, we 
can have diversity if you pick the best person for admissions. Don't always assume, and this is where the soft bigotry of low expectation comes in, that they automatically assume that if the color of my skin is dark, then I am not as capable as everyone else. And that is the worst bigotry of them all. So, you know, his argument that somehow uh, that, uh, you know, we, if we don't have race-based omissions, then there's not going to be any black students is in itself a travesty. You know, it's interesting. By the way, we're talking to Donna Jackson with the Project 21 Black Leadership Project, talking about the oral arguments before the United States Supreme Court. And uh, we'll know in June what happens to the fate of UNC's race-based admissions. And you know, it's, it's interesting, as I mentioned at the top of the program, you know, they, they put out sort of a red herring where they say, well, you know, we've got all kinds of boxes that you have to check out. We look at numerous things. But the bottom line is all those things are play secondary to to the fact that uh, we're going to ultimately decide based upon race or, or gender or both. And, of course, there's other intersectionality boxes that are probably being checked as well. When when you when you look at this kind of ad- admission, and as you as you wrestle as your group wrestles with with the uh, th- this whole racial um, ad- admissions policy, where first of all, let me ask you, where do you think the the Supreme Court is going to do with this? Do you th- do you think uh, they're going to come down on the side of uh, the students for uh, fair admission, or they're going to come down on the side of the universities? I think they're going to come down on the side of the students for fair admission. There is nothing stopping any student from competing um, based upon their race. So for sure, I'm very confident that the fact that we don't need racial preferences today, everyone is able to compete on their own merits. So, uh, you know, that's the, that's the one uh, belief that I have. The second thing is that we, you know, this administration has been very forthright in saying that everyone that they pick, not from their cabinet members, from when they're looking at who's going to serve in the army, the military, is based upon a racial preference. So for them to say, oh, and by the way, we looked at other things, is just uh, right. there. Uh, it's, it's just to deflect the fact that the truth of the matter is that they're deciding, someone is sitting there and deciding who gets to win and who doesn't. And that's the control that this left and this administration wants. But the, the, here's the thing, whenever, whenever as a minority, you're picked just because of the color of your skin, then you never go anywhere. You never do because everybody thinks that they just gave you something. Nobody ever respects you because they think you didn't earn it. it. Being responsible for your own success, earning your position, is what affords us the opportunity to be able to succeed in this country. And it's about time that every group, irregardless of the color of your skin, starts taking responsibility for their actions. If you want to succeed, you can. There's nothing, nothing standing in your way. 
and stopping you from getting whatever it is that you want in this country. And that's where we need to stand. Donna, a lot of our listeners are probably somewhat surprised at hearing about Project 21, the Black Leadership Project. I have said for, I've been doing this program for 12 years now, and I have said all along, the conservative movement will really come into its own when black Americans realize that the, the, the liberal agenda does not have their best interest at heart. More and more, we are seeing black conservatives, our own lieutenant governor here in the state of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, but we're seeing congressmen and women from all over the country. And I'm just saying last week, it's interesting to note that black conservatives are really conservative. I mean, they will, they will fight the fight for the conservative cause stronger than anyone out there. Uh, do, do you see this growing in, in the black community more and more? Absolutely. Um, you know what? I have members, you wouldn't believe this, I have people who were deep into the liberal liberal movement. I mean, they were past presidents of the NAACP, the Rainbow Coalition, who are coming to me that are saying, you know what? We realize that these liberal policies are destroying our community, that these people who say that they care about us don't. They're over-regulating us. They're over. Um, they're over-regulating us. They're over-controlling us, and they never produce results. And I think that they realize that the problem in our communities is because these people want a permanent, underclass, government-dependent group of people, and they're fighting back. And so I get calls all the time. Amazing in some strongholds like Chicago. I mean, Los Angeles, who would think the most liberal uh, areas in the country? And these people are calling up saying, help us. And so, uh, you know, I'm so grateful for that. But, yeah, we're standing and we're fighting the fight and we won't back down ever. So so what I, what I hear you saying then is a lot of these, I mean, the, the liberals of the world want to make victims. They want to have victims that are dependent upon the government. Is that the basic same mentality you think is going on at these universities? Are, are they, is, in other words, are they saying, hey, you know what? We need to take care of you. You are the victims. We are going to make sure that you have the ability to get in here. Keep depending upon us because you're the victims. Oh, absolutely. And you know what the worst part of it is? So they'll lower the standards bring in minorities that are not equipped because they didn't earn it in their merit. And then the graduate graduation rate right. ends up being 38%, 38%. Now in what universe is this good? We should not pull people in that are not prepared to do the coursework. People should earn their right to be there, but they want victims so that they can keep that money going for the first year. You know, you get a whole broad of, New students, first-year students, they come in, they drop out. They come in, they drop out. We want students who can succeed, and that comes from people who earn their right to be there and are competitive and can do the work. We're talking to uh, Donna Jackson with the Black Twenty One, uh, the Project Twenty One Black Leadership Project. Donna, how can folks find out more information about your organization? Yes, you can look us up at the National Center at Project 21. That's the National Center at Project 21. You know, we are fighting the fight, and so we'd love to hear from you. 
Great. Well, listen, I know you're dependent upon donations as well. Uh, thank you for, for doing what you're doing and taking a stand. Again, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are saying, wow, I didn't know they existed. I didn't know that's where they were stood standing for. So thanks. Thank you for what you're doing. And uh, it, it's I'm sure you get a lot of uh, mainstream media negative press, but uh, keep up the good fight. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me. You bet. Donna Jackson with the Project 21 folks. Uh, Stay with us. More news and views coming right up. A collection of question marks. A lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare we'll start collecting clues as to the whys the what's and the where's neighborhood by neighborhood literally knocking on doors this is your worst nightmare the nightmare it would be a nightmare worst nightmare we will not end the nightmare we'll only explain it explain to us because this 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 is news and views with tom and benny on talk 96.3 and 103.7 all right welcome in on this halloween edition of news and views 1188 years ago in 834 a.d the Roman Catholic Church moved All Hallows' Eve to October the 31st. The celebration had been established to honor the saints. Now it's all about candy and vampires and dressing up. I will do anything. Well, yeah. (laughs) How many people are going to be dressing up as Nancy Pelosi tonight? That's an appropriate question for you to ask. I know, but that would be a scary costume. Just saying. Um, Taking a look at your... uh, weather forecast for tonight for trick-or-treating a chance of thunderstorms tonight just saying sorry to give you the bad news the good news is it should come in a little later but there is a 60 percent chance of uh, thunderstorms overnight tonight tomorrow thunderstorms in the morning then partly cloudy skies a high of 77 tomorrow tomorrow night partly cloudy with a low of 55 wednesday a mix of clouds and sun in the morning followed by cloudy skies in the afternoon, a high of 72 on Wednesday. Considerable cloudiness on Wednesday night with a low of 54. Talking about um, the UNC admissions policy going before the United States Supreme Court earlier today with their oral arguments. Talking to Donna Jackson in the first segment with the Project 21 Black Leadership Project. And you know, Donna hit it out of the park, and I've said this numerous times, and this, it's the same mentality of this, this soft prejudice, you can call it that, frankly, I think it's a hard prejudice, uh, against blacks when they say, well, you know, you, 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 if we don't help you, you're the victim, and if we don't help you, you're just not going to make it. And that's, that's how they come across with their voter ID well, you can't expect blacks to go out and get a photo ID so they can go in and vote, so you're therefore disenfranchising. And uh, as Donna so eloquently said, it's that's the same kind of uh, prejudice that you see at the university level. If we don't help you, you're a victim. If we don't help you, you're not going to be able to make it. Here's... Here's what will happen. Uh, this is this is Lamprecht's prediction. Students for fair admission, they're the ones that filed suit against both Harvard and UNC Chapel Hill. And th- these suits go back to 2014. So this has been going on for eight years. 
Harvard won its case at both the trial and appellate court level. UNC won the trial court level. The Supreme Court took the rare step of bypassing the appeals court to hear students for fair admission, their arguments today. And, of course, there is written documentation that's already been submitted. Uh, as we have talked to others, you know, generally speaking, the Supreme Court gets together immediately after the oral arguments and they take an, an initial vote. Then they write the opinions up for the the folks that are in the majority and the folks that are in the minority. They write their dissenting opinions. Here's, I, I think Don was right. I think the students for fair admissions will prevail. But here's the problem. And it's the same thing that they're saying now. Right now they're saying, well, wait a minute. There, there's a number of different criteria we look at before we admit a student. And uh, they're going to they're gonna come back and say, okay, well, you know what? We're, we, yeah, we understand what you're saying. You can't use race as the uh, ultimate definitive decision maker. And they're going to say, so we won't do that anymore. But here's the question. And if the Supreme Court does not come out and say, you are no longer allowed to put on the applications the race of the individual that's applying, or for that matter, the gender of the individual that's applying, if we want to be totally neutral, that has got to be removed. You know, the irony is if you're an employer, you're not allowed to ask those questions. You're not allowed to ask, okay, what, how old are you? What's your gender? What's your, what's your, uh, what's your uh, race? That's illegal. But yet these universities do that in the name of diversity. Well, what if an employer says, well, hey, listen, I want to be diverse. So I'm going to ask that question too. No, it's illegal. And unless the Supreme court comes out and there, I, I don't see them doing this. But the bottom line is they're going to come out and say you cannot use race as a defining decision maker for the students that you're going to admit to your universities. So the universities say, okay, we won't. And they'll fudge it. They'll fudge it. They'll say, oh, yeah, no, that's just, that's just one of a hundred different criteria that we will consider. And they'll lie and they'll continue to do what they're doing. I, 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 that's how they've done it in the past. That's how liberals do it. They lie. <laughs> All right, enough of that. We will uh, look forward to next June when that uh, decision comes out. Carolina Journal is reporting some solidly held Democrat seats in the state house and the state Senate in North Carolina may be at risk in this November's general election. Recent polling has shown a shift in public opinion. In favor of Republicans, said Andy Jackson, director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. They indicated that Republicans are on pace to get a 3 to 5% higher than average uh, turnout this year. If that continues through Election Day, Republicans will almost certainly gain a supermajority in the Senate. Now, the Senate is the hard one to get. There's a lot of people that say they're going to get it in the House, but they're now saying we could get it in the Senate as well. Recent polling indicates Republicans have a seven-point advantage in the stake generic legislative ballot, giving Republicans a solid chance to retake supermajorities this year, said Jim Sterling, research fellow at the John Locke Foundation Civitas Center for Public Integrity. The most likely path to a supermajority for them would be taking 14 of the 19 toss-ups and lean Democrat seats. He said many of these seats that Republicans could potentially pick up sit just outside of North Carolina's urban centers 
Raleigh, Charlotte, and Greensboro. Now, so he's saying that they could take 14 of the 19 toss-up seats. Listen, they only need three seats in the House and two in the Senate to get a supermajority. Uh, would that not be grand? Uh, basically, you would um, – how do I put this nicely? You would uh, make the governor impotent. He, he could no longer veto bills passed by the legislature. He would truly be a lame duck governor for his last two years. Wouldn't that be sweet? News and Observer is reporting more than 1.1 million North Carolinians have already voted in the 2022 uh, general election. The largest group of North Carolina voters, those registered as unaffiliated, are less interested in voting early than Democrats and Republicans. Um, Democrats lead with the biggest turnout followed by Republicans and then unaffiliated voters. And yet unaffiliated, as I just said, that is now the largest voting block of North Carolina voters. Which, you know, what's interesting about that is traditionally Democrats vote early and Republicans vote on election day. That's just how it's happened. When it, when you, if you go to the voting booth and you ask the people registering, you know, how many Democrats have you had, how many Republicans have you had that day, Republicans usually lead because Democrats usually vote early. But the very fact that the unaffiliated voters now are not voting early along with Republicans who traditionally don't vote early, that sort of tells me that the, uh, that the number of unaffiliated voters are more conservative they're more leaning republican that's just just an observation unaffiliated voters surpassed the majority parties earlier this year as the largest voting group in the state they represent more than 35 percent of registered north carolina voters and about 30 percent of ballots cast early so far democrats lead the turnout of early voting representing 39 percent of the ballots followed by republicans at 31 percent so it's not a huge percentage difference. You know, when they first started doing the early voting, it was quite um, uh, it was quite uh, a stark difference between the parties. Just got a text from Keith Kidwell. What does Keith say? Glad, you, glad you're listening, Keith. He says, now instead of just being a lame governor, he'll be a lame duck governor. <laughs> so he's already got the lame governor title. I'm sure he meant that in a good-humored way, did uh, Dr. Kidwell. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Town Hall is reporting the latest polls indicate a red tsunami, a rapid turn of events, given that some GOP operatives were about to jump off the cliff by late August. The Democrat advantage with, woman, uh, with women, <laughs> they usually take advantage of women, uh, has been erased, where Democrats search for voter blocks to blunt a wipeout. They just can't. Currently, 40% of Hispanics and 21% of black Americans intend to pull the lever for the GOP on Election Day. That from the USA Today Suffolk University poll of likely voters. They found that Republicans had a four-point lead on the congressional generic ballot, 49% to 45% marking a turnaround from the July polling when Democrats led by four points. So that's a, what, a nine, uh, eight-point shift. 
Uh, most of the 16% of voters who were undecided ended up breaking towards supporting Republican candidates, according to the poll. Only 6% remain undecided. Why it matters, perhaps even more concerning for Democrats than the overall numbers, was the party's slippage with non-white voters. The poll found that 40% of Hispanic voters supporting Republicans, 21% of African-American voters backing the GOP. I, I, I mean, that is, if those numbers hold true, I mean, that, that is, that very well could be the end of the Democrat Party. I mean, if, if, and again, going back to our conversation with Donna Jackson of Project 21 and the observation that we've made over and over again, that the, the, the biggest increase in the conservative movement are black Americans. Uh, you know, I, I don't think this is just a flash in the pan. Now, the higher number, because 21% is a pretty pretty high number. And you say, well, that means 79% are still voting Democrat. Yeah, but the Democrats need 100%. I mean, right now, uh, African Americans in the United States comprise about uh, 13% of our total population. So that's a segment that they need to carry 100%. And Hispanics, 40% are voting Republican. I mean, these numbers are great news for Republicans Terrible news for Democrats. Uh, Again, likely voters in the generic ballot, Republicans 49%, Democrats 45% overall. You say, well, it's only 4%. Yeah, but that's in in a general election, that's a landslide. Um, Men, 50% Republican, 45% Democrat. Women, this is another huge number. Women generally vote Democrat. It's split right down the middle, 47% to 47% amongst women voters. That's huge. I mean, that is really huge. And you say, well, it's split down the middle. Yeah, but traditionally, Democrats carry the women voters by three or four percentage uh, points. The fact that they've lost those three or four percentage points is significant. Uh, When it goes by age, 18 to 29-year-olds, 52% Democrat, 40% Republican, 30 to 44, 50% Democrat, 41% Republican, 45 to 64, which is probably the most consistent voting block, 38% Democrat, 59% Republican, 65 and older, 48% Democrat, 48% Republican. And uh, again, the, the, the big numbers, though, Hispanic voters and black voters is um, – that that is an historic high for the Republican Party. We got to take a time out. Stay with us. Much more news and views coming right up. show that really makes you think he is a genius he's all powerful he brought a kind of heat he could be the best just don't hurt yourself okay more news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 all right welcome back in over the weekend jean pierre was talking about the attack on paul pelosi and, uh, you know, she said what you would expect, that we have to condemn political violence. It's something that should be not be controversial. It's something that should not be partisan. Uh, we should all be together on this. But sadly, it has become political, and we need 
to end this, adding, this is what the president has said multiple times, and he's talked about it in his speeches and his remarks. Uh, That's rather rich concerning um, the violence that's taken place and how we need to end this. Why? Uh, Just think back to the Dobbs case. Just think back to Dobbs versus Jackson, the decision that came out in early May, and the violence that and the threats that many wanted to perpetrate upon the Supreme Court justices. And the Democrats and the Biden administration did nothing. Did nothing. By the way, I, I mentioned on Friday when this thing came out, I just, you know, I, I they just felt like there was something odd about that. Curious, I think, was the word I used. And... I, I still maintain that. I'm, I'm sorry that Paul Pelosi got hit in the head with a hammer. And I, I truly do hope he recovers fully and has no permanent damage. But there's just it's just some, some curious things that are going on that and some of the stuff that came out initially is now being walked back. Initially, they said that the police were led inside the Pelosi home by an unknown third person. Then they said, no, 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 uh, there was not a third person. That was wrong. But they didn't, but they didn't not say that somebody let them in. They were told by Politico, the, the public was told by Politico, that the two... Uh, Pelosi and his attacker were fighting over a hammer. The cops walked up, knocked on the front door, and a mystery someone just went uh, politely opened the door while all this was happening. So they're wrestling over a hammer, Paul Pelosi, and supposedly this third mystery person was watching uh, I mean, I mean, if you follow the, the narrative, you got to say, okay, well, then Paul went to the bathroom, called nine one one, and returned to Russell some more with this nudist, and then an unnamed, an unnamed third person let the police in, and then the hippie hit Paul Pelosi with the hammer. Um, and of course, you know, and l- listen, there. By the way, when the the liberals have come out on this thing. And you, you probably already heard this, that, uh, again, there is a strong inference that this is the Republicans' fault. You know, this is, well, if you, you know, all you got to do is look at January 6th and you expect this kind of stuff. Uh, why aren't, Stephen Miller asked a good question, why aren't journalists going into great detail and really trying to find the facts of, okay, who let you in the door if there wasn't a third person? Why? And here's the other big question. There is no signs of forced entry in the Pelosi home. Uh, at one point, uh, the the guy, the, the nudist, was uh, referred to as a friend of Pelosi's. I, and again, I, I'm I'm not making any conclusions here. I'm just reiterating this whole thing is very, 
very curious. The San Francisco Police Department tells NBC News that Paul Pelosi and the accused attacker, David DePop, or DePap, uh, did not know each other prior to the assault of the Pelosi home. The San Francisco Police Department also said that there were only two people inside the Pelosi home when they responded clarifying statements made Friday's press conference, which seemed to indicate that there was a third person at the home. Uh, maybe there's nothing to it, but it just, the narrative is changing. The whole thing is just rather curious. we got to take a time out. Stay with us. Be right back. There's a lot going on. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. So it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, guys. Get ready, because here we go. Now, now more than ever. It's a disgrace what's happening to our country. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Yeah, I try my best to keep up with everything. So I am freaking out. Just try not to freak out. That's a really tough task for me. Now, back to news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. How bad is it, is it for John Fetterman? Um, well, the mainstream media is now turning against him. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette citing concerns over Fetterman's lack of transparency regarding his health and his inexperience have come out and endorsed Dr. Mehmet Oz. Um, and don't think that the Pittsburgh Post is uh, a conservative deal. It's not. <laughs> no way. But, uh, hey, is, is, it, is it so obvious and so bad that even the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette has uh, endorsed Oz? Yep. Town Hall's reporting on Friday, the Florida Board of Medicine voted to draft a rule that would prohibit all minors in the state from receiving transgender health care, including puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and sex reassignment surgery. During a five-hour meeting, members of the board heard testimonies about the impact of transgender health care, Some of those who spoke are those who began to transition to the opposite gender and later detransitioned. NBC News reports the first nine attendees who spoke were in favor of restricting gender-affirming care for minors. Eight of them said they have transitioned or come to identify with their assigned sex at birth after having previously identified as trans. Only one in eight had received gender-affirming medical care as a minor, Chia Cole, who described herself as a 18-year-old transition female from California, said she began transitioning at 12 and received a double mastectomy at 15. At 16, she said she realized she regretted her transition. Oops, can I please have a do-over? No, you can't. Sorry, we can't remove the boobs and then put them back on. It's just that simple. All the talk about mental health Self-perception, pronouns, ideology leads me to question, why is a mental health epidemic not being addressed with mental health treatment to get at the root causes for why female adolescents like me want to reject their bodies, Cole said. Bingo. You know, if you say that, if you're now, now this is someone who transitioned and realized, oops, and it was too late. She had already mutilated her body. She was a minor. She was a minor. So you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, did she mutilate her body or did somebody talk her into it? Or did, or, or, and, and just as bad, why wasn't there some watchman on the wall saying, stop, stop, you're a child. You're not going to do this to yourself. We're going to wait. You're going to see things through. You know, it's, it's like, 
people that can consider suicide but don't carry it out? How often do we find out just a matter of sometimes hours later that the world doesn't look as dark as you thought it did? The idea that we're going to allow minors to make these decisions. Anyway, the story goes on. By the end of the meeting, some protesters staged a die-in in the lobby of the Orlando International Airport where the meeting was being taken place. One of the arguments used by those who are pro-transgender care for minors is that they will commit suicide if they do not have access to this treatment, which often comes as a result of gender dysphoria. The truth of the matter is the number of suicides by those who have the transition is even greater than those who don't get it. I'm not saying that there isn't suicides over this. But you know what? When, when this, is, this is why you need mental health counseling. Frankly, you need biblical counseling. The pastors need to come in and, and work with these people. This is the way God made you. He didn't make a mistake. During Friday's meeting, Jude Spiegel, a transgender person read the names of over the 40 trans teens who died by suicide. Well, I'm sure you can find 40 teens, but where were they? How over how, how many years did you accumulate these names? Over how wide a geographical area did they come from? And listen, I'm not I, I don't want to make light of I realize that transgenderism is an issue and the people struggle with this and I'm not making light of that. But the idea that you're just going to give in to it and mutilate your body Uh, That's not the answer. We need to go back to the drawing board, and we need to get good counseling for these people that struggle. Kudos to the Florida Board of Medicine. This is a wise decision. I hope other states adopt it, including North Carolina. And thanks for being with us. Our uh, thanks to Donna Jackson of Project 21. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right.